Hey, everybody. I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now, we're about to launch our first ever universe-expanding miniseries. That's right. Get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So I think I think I think honesty is always the best policy. I actually have you ever. So here's a scenario. Surely this has happened to you, Joseph. Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, oh, I just showed uh, Nancy two mules for her sister Sarah last night and she loved it. Speaking of Shirley, um, you're on the set. You got this actor. You go action. The actor just fucking nails it. Like you're just looking at perfection. You're like, that's beautiful. You go cut. You look at your actor, your actor looks at you. You both know you did it. It's just that satisfaction of knowing, like, got it in one, moving on. And then your DP goes, oh, we, we, we got to go again. Yeah. <laughs> it's happened. And do it you, doesn't mean you don't print it anyway. Do you and want to? Yeah. Well, you know, on, 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 on several pictures, you know, Dustin Hoffman refused to do another take on Kramer versus Kramer. And his right. big scene is out of focus. That's right. Uh, and when 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 Frankenheimer was making a Manchurian Candidate with Frank Sinatra, uh, he nailed it on the first take, and it was slightly out of focus. And they both agreed that it would never be any better. And so it's, that's the way it is in the movie: slightly out of focus. I'm saying like you can't use it at all. Like, do you tell the actor, <laughs> or do you just come up with some excuse for why you're doing another take? Do you tell the actor? I think you have to be pretty honest, yeah. I think you have to tell. Yep. So, so, uh, cause and I was that thinking will, that will freeze relations between the actor and the DP for the rest of the show. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking we could, we could tell Clayne that, uh, uh, we had some notes and wanted to just do a take two, or we could come clean. <laughs> I would personally prefer the notes that way. I'm not just <laughs> blind, right? You guys could just even give me some films. I could research them and then we can just come back and have a discussion. Clayne, could you just give me a little more sincerity this time? So, but you have to go a, through exactly the same list of movies and say exactly the same. Exactly this. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we had. I, uh, I, this is my worst nightmare. I, I, um, when I was in college, I lived in a house with a bunch of students. Uh, there was a grad student, a woman who ran a place who lived on the third floor, and I still remember. This is decades ago. Her these screams of terror. It was like someone is broken into the third floor and is attacking Shay, and we all run up. And what had happened is her computer had eaten two chapters of her dissertation. And the horror in her face and her voice was so powerful to me that I am psychotic about backing things up. Like I type, my fingers now just automatically hit command S like every time I inhale. So I save everything. I've never lost anything. We did a great episode a couple of weeks ago with Clayne Crawford uh, who came on and it was just absolutely fantastic. And, um, sat down to uh, edit his show and I know exactly what happened and it's boring as hell, but my computer had eaten 
the audio from our conversation with him. And I spent 24 hours going, do I even tell Joe? Do we maybe like Clay's got this movie coming out in a, in a month and a half. He's going to be so busy. He's not going to notice that our, maybe no one will notice. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> but we did save the picture. So <laughs> what we're doing is we're going to run the same picture and you're going to dub from memory everything that you said on the previous. That's great. You know, I actually did a film one time and it's an awful film. I won't mention the title, but I, I, I got the role doing this, this crazy accent. And the director's like, that's fantastic. I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. And I was like, okay. And even on set, I was like, are you sure you feel good about this? <laughs> I'm digging it. But like, are you a hundred percent? He's like, oh yeah, it's totally working. Cut to, I don't know, five months later. He li- hey, yeah, you've got uh, seven days of ADR. For the film. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are we going to, seven days? Like what? And he goes, yeah, apparently they want you to dub the entire film. And I was like, then they're going to have to pay me for the entire thing. <laughs> and uh, incidentally, there's now, it's like, uh, I co- it's like a bad Kung Fu movie. You know, my image comes on and then it's just very deep kind of, uh, you know. Yeah, my mom watches it for fun, but not my voice <laughs> at all. <laughs> no way wow. was I going back down that road. Oh, so they, they use somebody else? Yeah, of course. That's what they oh, do. Wow. They give you the first chance. And if you don't do it, they are something. Yeah. It wasn't said, Perry King, was how it? about it? No, do you know the Perry King? Perry Perry King is the voice of Mel Gibson in the American version of Mad Max. Because he actually sounds a lot like Mel Gibson. When they first released it over here, they dubbed it. Uh, well, they dubbed it because they had a preview and everybody said, what are they, what, what are they talking about? Yeah. And, sure what did saying. he just say? Oh, yeah. I, I, I actually know the company, the people who are releasing the movie, and they asked me to come in and they said, what do you think of the soundtrack, this movie? And I said, I, what's wrong with it? It's fine. They said, well, we can understand it. And I said, it's Australian. They're speaking with an Australian accent, but it's, it's English, you know? It's, and, and they said, oh, well, uh, we're, we're, we're going to dub it. So they dubbed it. And they didn't need to. They spent all that money they for nothing. They didn't need to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That would be weird, though, going back and seeing a movie where somebody else is. I mean, I understand if you were watching an Italian version, it was somebody dubbing you, but doing your own. That's one thing. Yeah. yeah. No, this is just straight American. And it's, it, uh, and this gentleman was a very deep baritone. It is quite interesting. The yeah. worst version of that, not quite the same thing, but I, I worked with Billy Barty once and, uh, uh, he, he talked about this having happened on a film. And then, um, this is the very first movie I worked on. I worked with Billy. And then about a year later, I found myself working on a movie and I went to take a look at the director's previous film. And I was like, oh my God, this is the director Billy was talking about. But he said uh, she had dubbed every scene he's in with farts. Every time he walks in, you just hear. (laughs) And I guess the gag is that he's just a flatulent character and no one ever says anything or notices. Paul Sag. It could be be worse. (laughs) But but anyway, so uh, yeah. So finally, I just broke down and threw myself at the mercy of the court. And um, uh, Joe doesn't have a choice. Joe had to come back. And... uh, (laughs) But Clayne, thank you so much. I, I feel so bad because it was such a wonderful conversation. And now well, we're going to have to... We're never going to top it, right? This is going to be garbage <laughs> as a result. So at least we can talk about how great that one was so that your, your right. listeners can at least know. Oh my God, time. do you remember the part where you told the story? Uh, that was fantastic. That was just great. Yes, yes. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. 
thank you so much for coming back. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Um, I mean, well, let's, we, let's plug his movie. Well, yeah, 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 I was going to say we we would have done this anyway, but it was such a great. There were a couple things that that I hope. Uh, again, I know you're not. I'm not going to give line readings, but I hope you'll bring up again. But uh, <laughs> you can you, give me line readings. It's okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's fine. It's um, fine. But uh, yeah, you've got a new movie coming out. It's actually it's going to be in theaters and on demand May 14th. Uh, it's called The Killing of Two Lovers, written and directed by Robert Machoyan. Um, it's it's a fantastic film. Um, it was such a such a joy to watch. It's it's in the best way possible. It's a very small film shot, I believe, like in the space of what about two city blocks? That's correct. Yeah. And um, it's a it's a character piece. It's you're fantastic. The rest of the cast is is fantastic. Uh, you sing in it. Which... Yeah, you know, look, I mean, I've wanted to work with Robert for a long time. And because we've known each other for 10 plus years, we we kind of know each other's weaknesses. And and uh, and I've just mentioned quite a few times. Oh, yeah, I almost did this job, but they wanted me to sing. So I passed. And he's like, oh, interesting. Yeah. And then he pulls it. He wants me. And I, I, I kid you not, we just finished another film, our second feature in December. And he has me singing in that one as well. So I think he he just likes getting me to a place where I'm extremely uncomfortable. Right. Uh, I support it. So will you, uh, uh, when you record an album, will you come back and talk to us? To... <laughs> Josh, if I could sing, if I thought that I could sing, you would never see me on television ever again. <laughs> never again. I would be um, on stage commanding large audiences. Right, is it that I, I I'm I'm baffled. That's the dream. I am baffled when rock stars want to be directors. But isn't that it? Athletes want to be actors. Rock stars want to be actors. Directors want to be. I mean, every we all want to, these other things, right? It all seems so sexy when really it's just a ton of hard work. And you know, it is, I just feel like the purest. You know, to stand in front of a giant, you know, stadium full of people screaming adoration at you as you do. It's like. Yeah, I, I need to go work eighteen-hour days on a set. With uh, that's that's just I'm not going to be I'm not going to be happy until then. It's very very odd. But yeah, um, very odd. I'd rather be on that stage as well and have that energy flow. I mean, you know, doing theater is one thing, but that many people, that large, that much energy, all collective towards what you're putting out, and they know the words to the song. I just can't imagine. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's live too. You're getting that response live. Yes, you know? instant, right? Instant. Yeah, yeah, I would just live on tour. You know. Yeah. Yeah, instead of that, like, well, I'll find out in a year and a half if they liked that scene I just... Yeah, but then sometimes you can't even watch the film, right? right. So, it just, it, so there's no... Re I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Or they've dubbed you. I guess that's why I have a farm, you know? I just like working with cows and horses, so maybe that's my reward, what <laughs> acting pays off. Uh, well, um, well, thank you. I am, I'm just... I'm chastened. I'm humbled. I'm embarrassed. I'm... Ah, uh, oh, stop uh, it. I'm happy to come back. It's good to talk to you guys. And oddly enough, after we talked about, um, you know, you mentioned your wife and I went through my phone and I still have Nancy Dash Puma in myself. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> she still has the boots. So it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, well, actually... I, you know, when you guys told me to come back, I was like, I started thinking, I'm like, are we, you know, I, I go back to like, what films, you know, because it's like, are we going to talk about Metropolis and On the Waterfront and, you know, the Godfather trilogy or, you know, Top Gun and Gremlins and, you know, Young Guns and these films that I kind of grew up with. And, and it's kind of what we were talking about before. I, I wanted to do something that was since I kind of got into show business, I felt like it was better to kind of talk about the films 
that had an impression on me in that moment that were not necessarily some of the greatest moments in cinema necessarily, but more of how they truly kind of shaped me and kind of created a past for me. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, sure. The movies that, I don't know, made you say. I mean, that is the name of this show. So I didn't know <laughs> if I should kind of just lean into that. Yeah, no, no, for sure. For sure. Look, we're, we're happy to, you know, people bring up, say, Citizen Kane uh, often enough, and they're often embarrassed. It's like, no, I want to hear what you think of it. It's going to be different what the last person did. But but it's not about that. It's about what what clicked with you, you know? Um, yeah. What is And sometimes the stuff that clicks with us is so weird uh and and doesn't click with anyone else you know or it's you know it's this moment in adam sandler sequel where <laughs> i saw this thing happen and i went oh my god i can do that yeah i was waiting to see where you were going to go with that yeah but, uh, <laughs> i see you went real broad you went broad that's cool yes. yeah yeah yes yeah. but that's that's the thing <laughs> otherwise yeah although i suppose we could do a we, we could do a spinoff, Joe, just call it the Pantheon and have different guests come on and talk about the same 10 movies. No, no. We already talk about <laughs> the same movies too often anyway. So it's always refreshing when people come in with something that, that nobody else has, has been uh, talking yes. about. You know? Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, do you want to just sort of jump in? You ready to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. Let, uh, <clears throat> so I was trying to think of like the very first film. The when I go back to my memory, like when I even knew that kind of film existed and I feel that it was <clears throat> when I found out we were going to watch Empire Strikes Back, I thought, and I mean, I had to be three or four. So it's like those, it's where it's like these fragmented memories, right? Of this, this house that we were living in before my little sister was born. And I remember for some reason thinking that I was going to be scared because it was going to be a vampire movie, right? And <clears throat> I'm in the back seat. We're at a drive-in. It's like 1980, and I'm with my parents in their '79 uh, Trans Am. And I've got my Star Wars sheets. You know, I've got some of my action figures. I've got the pillow with the Star Wars deal. And then I realize that it's Luke and R2D2, and like the whole and that moment of having merchandise like having toys that I'm having that I'm playing with and sheets that I'm, I'm excited to climb into bed and like the pajamas. And it was this whole kind of thing. And it was the first time that I just realized the impact that cinema has on us, especially as Americans. Um, and, and again, I, I remember nothing from the film, you know, I remember that I had to go to sleep afterwards because it was a, it was a double feature with Moonraker uh, and my parents didn't want me watching the James Bond film. Um, but outside of that, it was just more of that was, I guess, the beginning, like the first fist in the clay of what this is all going to kind of be for me, you know, down the road. I couldn't think of another cinematic experience, not even something I'd watched on television before that moment. Now, had you seen Star Wars at that point or you, you were too young? to? I, 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 again, I, I wonder yeah. if I had I was more connected to the toys. Right and the starships and the things that are happening on my sheets, right? These sword, okay. these, because it was like Luke and, and Vader having a sword fight, you know, with the lightsabers on the sheets. And I had like the sleeping bag. So I think it was more of, again, it was the material aspects that were around me that I was just having fun with that my parents were excited about, right? Because there's no way I remember Star Wars. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure they showed it to me, but 1980, I mean, in Alabama, I doubt we even had VCRs happening, you know. So there, I, I, I would yeah. imagine 
the answer is no. It was more of, oh my goodness, these toys, that's this guy. And he's up on that big screen right there. Right. I think it was more of that connection with it. That seems, yeah, there's something perfect about that, that. Your first connection to Star Wars is through the merchandise. And, and then just adding to it, seeing it in the backseat of a Trans Am, just, I don't know. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> is there any other way to watch a drive-in? <laughs> well, I got a convertible or? No, no, hard top. No, I had T-tops. T-tops, T-top, okay. You know? And I only remember the T-tops because the right, the passenger side always leaked. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, my God. <laughs> Classic white trash. Glorious. Um, what was the next? What was my next experience? I wrote, oh, I remember. I, it was, um, I think the first time, like, the light went off that I wanted to. So we're talking about, like, again, because, I mean, we could talk just from the 80s because that was just my just my introduction to going into the theaters and my parents, again, everyone kind of being excited. And there were so many great films, you know, Indiana Jones and again, like the gremlins and RoboCop, which I had to go with watch with my cousins, but those kind of movies. But for me, that truly kind of shifted things was um, when I watched 12 monkeys and I knew nothing um, about Terry Gilliam or, or his career. I just saw, I knew Bruce Willis, obviously, and I wasn't really familiar with Brad Pitt, but shortly after seeing the film, I see other things that Pitt was in. And then I, that was when something started clicking, this really good looking guy who was kind of stepping outside of himself and doing, you know, character work. And um, for me, for the first time, I was like, oh, maybe that's something I would like to do with my life. And of course, at that moment, it was like thinking about becoming an astronaut. I couldn't even see how the pieces would all fit together or what path that would even look like. But it was something that certainly, you know, got my heart going, got my guts going. I got it. It got me excited. And, um, and I had rented. So accidentally. So I'm renting this movie so much and my mom's getting on because I'm always at the gas station renting this thing. And then, you know, not returning it and late fees and not rewinding it and so forth. So she buys me 12 monkeys. Wait, sorry, probably so like, you, you rented from the gas station? Yeah, yeah. It's the only place I had Fantastic. movies in my town. Yeah, right. yeah. So they had like a couple of two little rows, right? And when the new releases came out, they had one. Uh, so I was always kind of like hanging out, waiting to see who's going to bring it back, you know, kind of thing. And um, checking everybody's movies as they came to the door. And, um, so my mom bought me. 12 monkeys. And she, again, I, I'm sure she bought it from, you know, Walmart or something. And it came in a, it was a double cassette with Brazil. And I remember thinking, you know, I, I didn't know what the heck that thing, what that was. And I had not, I was nowhere near the place where I was associating films with directors and okay, well, if this, if I like this, then I should love this, other, his other works and so forth. Um, but I put Brazil in just on a whim and you want to talk about you know this kid in smallville alabama watching this movie um like it blew my mind and at that point i knew so it was funny how those two little films but with in that span of those two vhs's i completely knew what i was going to do with my life really so did without you- a doubt you connected. I mean, you you got that they were the same director. 
I, I only because I kept wondering why in the hell did they put this thing that I've never heard of this freaking Brazil? My dad, you know, I'm like, come on. And then I realized, oh, amazing. That's uh, a fascinating double feature too, because because Twelve Monkeys obviously was that commercial success, and people would. I guess what's the thinking, Joe? Like, we'll pawn off this movie. Nobody. Well, you know, uh, you weren't the only one whose mind was blown by Brazil because Universal Pictures had their collective yes. minds blown by it too. And there was a big fight and a big argument about which version of the picture was going to be released. And uh, it, it went to lawsuits. And it was not a movie that they were promoting or even liked. And so the idea of sticking it on a cassette with something else is well, one way to get rid of it, you know, right. and, and fulfill our obligations that we have and all that because we're supposed to, you know, be releasing it. Um, but, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's the, it's the movie that when I came out of all I could see was ducting everywhere, everywhere I went, I could just see ducts, giant ducts, ducts yeah. because th that's the, you know, the art direction of that particular picture. But, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very strange film and it's, it's particularly strange that it was able, able to be made for a major studio because that's, you know, that with the resources that it took to make a picture like that for people who don't appreciate it and have to pay the bill is um and it's pretty remarkable that it exists at all yeah i just i loved the i mean god I'm, I'm so envious of people who kind of discover stuff like that the way you did um because you know i was like i you know like i'm a movie nerd i'm also a few years older than you a few and you know we knew this was coming and there was all this sort of noise about gilliam and it was going to be his masterpiece and, and you know i love the film but the idea of just i just throw it on a tape that i happen to have and, and in my in my parents basement right on, a, on yeah. the tv and the vcr and for me you know you got to think again the films that people talked about with their favorite movies were predator and Rambo, right? And Rocky, which is a great film. Um, but for me, I'd never, I'd never seen kind of Joe suggested, I'd never seen those types of resources to tell that type of story. And with that leading man, I couldn't, I'd never, it, it just, and also to tell that sort of story, I was just like, what in the hell am I watching? And it, um, it opened me up in a way that, so it's, it's interesting to hear you guys talk about the film. So from when, when the film came out, was it a complete, was it considered a complete, a complete failure or was it, how, how did critics respond to the film? Critics uh, loved it. Yeah. Some, some, some loved it, but it was, it was a mixed response. But uh, like, some people just didn't get it as, as often happens with yeah. a movie like that. But it, it got like, like the LA critic circle. And, but there was also a lot of people getting behind Gilliam because of his battle with the studio to get his cut, which one of the things I love about him, I saw an interview once where he talked about how um, it really wasn't fair because you know he had he had all the cards. He was the little guy and they were the big bean company. So of course, everyone would side with him. <laughs> but he, he managed to get his cut out there, um, which is incredible. And, uh, but, but yeah, it wasn't a hit. And, um, but you know, it was, it, was, it was beloved by people who, you know, nerds like us um but uh yeah it was it was not the uh, box office success that like 12 monkeys or fisher king were and i just that's I, interesting i just love yeah it. i love the film i love the it just again and that moment of 
you know, it's like this, this is the reason we go to film festivals, right? We, we want to see a film that we have no frame of reference. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to see a trailer. I, I, I don't want to see a poster. I just want to go in and be able to enjoy the film without pretense. And, uh, and for me, sitting in that room, never have heard of Brazil, right? And, and when I told people, oh, my God, this, I watched, they're like, what? That's what, that was my next question. It's like, what were your yeah. friends like when you were? My buddies are like, are there any titties in it? Brazil? Like, <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, no. Mona from uh, what's it, that TV show? She gets stretched out at one point, but no, <laughs> no, no. It's got some action. It's There's a shootout or two. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, De Niro's in it. And they're like, really? right. yeah, but I don't know if. Um, I don't know. He's playing an air yeah. conditioning repairman. It's, uh... <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so that, that I, I knew at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to start kind of figuring out how to get out of this little town and <clears throat> make my way to Los Angeles and want to figure out how, how to be an actor. I want to make, I want to make movies like this that just have blow people's minds, you know? And, yeah. um, and, and, and that led to, you know, Last of the Mohicans and some other great films, um, as, as I kind of started researching directors and so forth. Um, but that's what moved me to LA. And, and it's interesting. Um, when I got to Los Angeles, I, I was trying to educate myself on film and I had a larger, um, more access with, with, I had rocket video that was down the street from me on La Brea. And I could go in there and there were just films, again, I'd never heard of that I could kind of start building my education. And I kind of started to go back and watch an earlier films um, from the 60s. And I'd watched Five Easy Pieces. And um, <clears throat> and I just watched Easy Rider before and, and watching, you know, the guy who I kind of, first time I really knew anything about Jack Nicholson was playing the Joker, right? And to see this guy in that film um, just blew me away. But what's funny as far as like films. So I watched, I watched five easy pieces. I get up the next day and I go to Jan's on Beverly to get my uh, biscuits and gravy. I miss it. Oh, buddy. And on Saturdays, (laughs) a boy from Alabama, I could go inside that place and those old little lady waitresses and just eat my biscuits and gravy. And I could be, I was home for a minute. You know what I mean? I wasn't in yeah, yeah. filthy LA going back to my apartment in Koreatown uh, on ninth and Gramercy and being sad. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm in Jan's and, and I've eaten my biscuits and, and I, and I've paid and I, and I'm getting up and I see, I see John Ryan sitting in a booth by himself, reading a newspaper, drinking coffee. And I'm like, holy crap, that's the dude from Five Easy Pieces, right? And, and I'm like, okay, all right. First time I've ever seen an actor in my life. And, and I finally get up the courage. Um, well, only because they're like, you know, you're going to have to get up because I've been sitting there so long nursing the last little bit of my OJ, you know? So I'm like, all right. So I go up to the booth and I was like, I was like, I just want to introduce my, I didn't know his name. And I said, look, I, I just, I just want to say, you know, I watched five easy pieces last night and you're awesome. And it's just awesome to meet an actor and what a great movie. And, you know, I think I said something like you should be, I'm, I'm sure you're so proud of it. You know, like what my Nana would say, you know, um, I, I, and, 
and he's like, he sits there and he looks at me and he says, sit down, sit down. And, 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 I, and I sit down in the booth across from him. He's like, you want something to eat? You want to get some food? I said, no, no, sir. I, I, I just got through eating. He's like, he's like, what, what, what makes you, what, what makes you watch, what's watching this movie? And I said, well, I've moved to LA, you know, and I, I want to be an actor and I'm trying to educate myself on film. You know, I'm from Alabama. So there's, there's not a lot of uh, opportunities to see old films. I said, so I'm kind of renting everything and, and, you know, go through the process. John invited me back to his house. And John had been a member of the Academy forever. And he had, he goes to his closet and he starts pulling down these boxes and he has VHSs of every film that's been nominated all the way back to the Grand Hotel, right? And this guy starts saying, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And I'm like, no, 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 no. He's like, holy crap. Hold. Have you seen on the waterfront? And I'm like, no, I have not. I don't know. And he's like, what the God, a kid. Okay. You, let, okay. Let's start with the basics. Right. So he's like, he's like, let's just start with Brando. Right. So he gives me these films and he, he gives me Brando's autobiography and he gives me Kazan's uh, autobiography. And he's like, go home and start here. And it was during, uh, this was 1998. So that big rainy season where it just rained every single day for six months in LA. And um, I sat in my little apartment up on Bronson at the base of Beachwood Canyon and um, just absorbed knowledge. And literally I would watch these films and I would take him the films back and he would rotate them. He'd give me 10 more. He'd give me new books. I had no idea who Monty Cliff was, never heard of this guy in my life. And I'm like, how is this guy not seen as Brando, right? Why is he not on that same scale? Again, he gave me his autobiography. And um, that was my true introduction into cinema was through this man. Uh, that's fantastic. I mean, did, did you get the sense that he was sort of waiting for you? <laughs> like he needed somebody to... I, I said, that I, I told my wife when, when I was preparing, we were going to do this the first time. And I started thinking about John and I was a dumb kid, right? I was a dumb kid who was scared and in LA and I, I didn't understand. I'd never, I wasn't married. I didn't have children. I'd never bought a home. I'd never, I didn't understand things. I didn't understand the value of life and <clears throat> uh, how fortunate and effort and time. And, and um, like this guy I was just a dumb kid. And like, he was an angel. I, I know it sounds silly, but like, he was like an angel in a way that came in, educated me, taught me so much about film. And then was just a wonderful human being in my life over these six months. And when the movies ran out, we did, I, I, I was going through something with my bio, biological father at the time. And he had me go outside and we, we, we wrote these things down on a sheet of paper and he burned them in this old, <clears throat> You know, this little grill he had on his little back stoop and um, almost kind of like said this prayer to the universe kind of thing. And and it's um, I, I went into this industry thinking, oh, my God, like this is very special what we do. And I'm always going to approach it as such. You know, it's 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 special. It's delicate. And um, 
it's not. It's a shit show and it's awful and full of horrible human beings. And I was completely misled. And for that, I hold John Ryan accountable. Uh, but as far as an education, it's cinema. Yeah. I, he's so big. I mean, I, I always think of him as, as uh, uh, Larry did this regularly. Larry Cohen, he would get these actors like, like, like John or, you know, Michael Moriarty and Q and he put them in these, what should be, you know, bargain basement B movie schlock horror films. And then somehow he'd get these epic perform. I mean, John Ryan in uh, it's alive. It's like just a pain of a father dealing with a child that is misunderstood and different, you know, and, and it is one of the great performances. Uh, it's, it's just heartbreaking. And it's like, it's, it's a layered. It's or something a monster like that, baby sort of that eats people. No, he was, he was a, that's that's the mark of a of a serious true actor is that yeah. you, know, you 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 don't condescend to the material. Yeah, and yeah. he really made it into something that was moving, and it's a it's a it's a pretty silly premise, but um, you know, and he's great in Runaway Train. Oh, he's, he's so good in Runaway Train. Train. Yeah, him and, yeah, him and, and he said things like that. He would say to me, "It doesn't matter if they have ten thousand dollars or if they have." $10 million. Right. He's like, you and at that time he was like, that was, that was a lot of money for a film. And, and, and it's, um, and you see it in all of his work pride, yeah. you know, yeah. and everything he did for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I love that. I love actors who, who just, yeah. Cause and it's not just, it's not even, it's not even about integrity. I mean, it is, but if you want to sort of eschew integrity, it's about sense. Nobody knows what's going to happen with any of these things. So you might as well do your best work. In it. Yeah. And what are we doing it for? And if not, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know if that's, you know, my father or what, but it's like, if I'm cutting the grass, it doesn't matter whatever I'm doing. You know, I just feel that. And, and it's nice to meet someone who, you know, you can, again, seeing it in their work, because it's just not something you see a lot anymore in actors. I think people 100% play to the budget. They play to the material. And, um, and, you know, some great performances have been lost as a result. So it, it's, he's definitely one of the, um, one of those old timers that approached it, you know, again, what I think how you, what you said is integrity. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I imagine you were aware of exactly how special this was even at the time, right? This is not, I don't think so. Really? Okay. I don't think so. You know, I was, I was 18 and. I don't think so. I was, I was grateful because I, right. these movies were free. Right. right. And, and he was so, he, he was, he, he was such a, he, he was such a scholar when it came to cinema. He was, he was so educated and he was able to, um, he knew every actor in every film and it was, it, it was always, there was an education that was constantly building. And, um, yeah, again, I, I, I think when I going until this moment, right, when, when I was preparing for this, I don't think I realized just how special it was. Oh, wow. Well, he was he was giving back, which is something that people yeah. don't do. I mean, when you're excited to share, you know, when you know, we find somebody who you think is going to be on your wavelength and is going to appreciate what you like and what you appreciate. And, you, and it's it's a natural, I think, uh, tendency to just sort of want to want to give stuff to them like here i mean i i I'm, i can't tell you how many people that i've turned on to various 
things that they didn't know existed. And it was always very gratifying and exciting when they, that's why we created the whole website, Trailer Some Hell. It's just to get people familiar with movies that they might not know about otherwise and, and, and get them endorsed by people that they might have some respect for. Yeah. Well said. Thus, thus this show. Um, yeah. He said, where were you? Uh, did you stay in touch with him throughout or you guys? I did, you know, he passed away. Um, yeah. but you know, what was interesting, it, it was, it was, I mean, look, there's obviously something serendipitous about them watching the film the night before yeah. how many 19 year old kids, 18, 19 year old kids are coming up to hit John Ryan saying, Oh my God, you were so great in five easy pieces. Right. Yeah. So I think it was just this perfect storm. Um, and he almost approached it as from, a, uh, I would say when the education was done, there was almost, we did kind of, we did, we did pull apart and, and, and I've tried to think back if that was me, if it was, um, again, because I was a kid and maybe I was going through, but I felt like he just slowly disappeared. Um, and, and I think there was something going on with his daughter at that time as well. Um, some personal issues. She was back on the East coast and, but he was also very private, uh, being so open from a creative standpoint, but yet, and he was very helpful with some of my private issues. But, um, again, as I reflect, he was, he was quite closed off with his personal life, but, but certainly, um, excited to help navigate. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, as you guys have alluded before, you just don't, you don't get that very often. And yet yeah. we do it. It's so rewarding. You know, yeah. I love meeting young actors who or people who want to make, who just want to make movies um, because we do have all these great experiences that you can't learn in, 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 in university, right? In a classroom. Um, it's just being on set and doing it. And, uh, and it's fun to share for sure. Yeah. Ah, oh, what an amazing experience. Wow. It was man. And, and, and that, that did lead me to one of my favorite films that kind of shaped me. And again, it was my finding a place in the sun and watching Monty Cliff and realizing that you can do incredible work um, and it, you don't have to be the movie star, right? You don't have to be this guy that everyone, because I think everyone moves to Hollywood as young actors and y'all want to be Brad Pitt. You all want to be Bruce Willis or whatever, you know, Harrison Ford. Um, and to watch him, and I, I can't, I'm blanking on the film where he was the juror, he was the, uh, he was on the witness stand. He was a, um, a witness in, and he only had one scene. And I think he won an Oscar for it. Or oh, was it was Judgment, Judgment in Nuremberg. Hmm. So good in that film. And I remember why I'm like, this guy's in one scene. And he, so it was, it was again, it, as far as movies that made me, that kind of shaped me into an actor. It was um, watching him and his, there's something about Monte Cliff that was just so approachable. You know, you felt like you could, you felt like he needed a hug. And mm. um, there was something that really kind of pulled me in. I had not seen a lot of that um, from movie stars. Uh, so A Place in the Sun definitely kind of shaped me who I was and what I was going to do in my career for sure. Well, see, I, I was, did he ever have like a matinee idol phase, Joe? Was he ever like, a, well, when he was, when he was in the red river period, he was pretty good looking. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know that he was ever a Bobby Sox idol, you know, right. cause he didn't do those kind of movies. Yeah. And didn't he, wasn't he in an accident, a car accident? In 1957, yeah. in the middle of shooting, um, Rantry County, 
uh, which was this big epic. Um, they had to shut down because he, uh, he was in this terrible car accident and his, his face was destroyed and they had to rebuild it. Uh, and when you, and they finally resumed making the movie and, and when you see the picture, it's pretty apparent what he, what was the pre-accident footage and what's the post-accident footage. And it's not that he, it's not that he doesn't look okay. It's just, he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't look the same. He doesn't look like the same guy. And, uh, and that became his persona for the rest of his career. It's tough. Um, there's actually, there's a clash song on London calling the right profile about Montgomery Clift and his accident. Uh, it's pretty great. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, he's always, he's, he is, he's very brooding and he's very, uh, um, yeah, I just wonder, I realized like, you know, there's that kind of, uh, you know, there, there was a kind of matinee quality, idol quality to even to Brando and to Dean that somehow I feel like he, he skipped that period or something, but. Yeah. I mean, look, it's hard for anything at Brando at that time. Right. I mean, again, someone who knew nothing about this, I, I didn't know what I'd to expect. And when I put streetcar on <clears throat> and he's leaning up against that pole in the beginning of the film, I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is happening? I'm like, this dude does not care. And I'd only seen people kind of, you know, quite big in, 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 in th at that time. And to watch him just kind of keep his head down and mumble the whole time. I was like, Holy cow. This is, <laughs> and again, I'm like telling people in my acting class, I'm like, this guy, and they're like, yeah, no shit, but I mean, wasn't I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> this guy's Brando, he's amazing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, let's see, what other movies do we have? Oh, being there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Peter Sellers. Again, I think it's because, you know, I want, I, I, I had the gift of, again, growing up in such an isolated place. And, I, you know, it's not like outside of Birmingham's that isolated, but it's fairly isolated, especially in the 80s. And I just had no, I didn't, I never knew what I was putting in. You know, I never knew what I was going to get. So I just got to appreciate, I just got to enjoy these films um, completely clean, I guess is the best way to describe yeah. it. And as, as an actor, watching peter sellers like i had never seen someone do nothing so well mm. Mm. especially someone who was i mean i guess had you seen him before or i had i had you know my dad was a big fan of the pink panther films right and so i i to see him it, you know it's just, it was the same as i see in tom hanks you know in philadelphia right i think it was watching sellers discover the world mm -hmm. um i i Plus, I, and again, I had never seen a lead in a film, and that was kind of, this is the approach, and this is, this is his journey, is through this discovery, as we all kind of question who he is. It was just, I was fascinated. And uh, again, from a performance standpoint, uh, to see him kind of shift gears like that was just mesmerizing. I mean, it's, it's startling compared to his other performances, because there's always a kind of manic edge to so much of what he does. Mm -hmm. and and to just leave that behind uh and, and be so good um it's yeah yeah it's, and almost in slow motion uh-huh stillness yeah yeah just unbelievable how confident he was in that piece yeah um and you can't you know you i think with so many films <clears throat> rare is it that you say i can't think of anyone else playing that there mm -hmm. is not one human being i can think that could play that could, could pull that off there's no way to remake that film today. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. No it one is, says it is. It is amazing. It's, uh, uh, um, where are we at? I don't know. I think um, I know fear and loathing. Uh, back to Gilliam. Yeah, man. This guy, I just, his fearlessness and um, attention to detail um, from set design to character development, it just, um, the worlds were so, I was immersed. And um, I, I think at that point, like knowing who he was, understanding him as a director in his career, and then also enjoy loving Benicio and Johnny Depp and get to see those guys in those worlds. And I love the book, which, you know, I feel what it's like, a, maybe a couple hundred pages, that little book. It's, it's a quick read. Yeah. It's a quick read. Right. But it's identical to the film. Like even Toby Maguire in the backseat of that car, like it's so um, it, it was again, it was almost like they took my favorite little comic book and turned it into this film, this live action. And I kept thinking they're going to ruin it. Right. Cause I just mm -hmm. love that book. And uh, I love that world. Um, and I was in my early twenties in LA. So the drugs and the rock and roll and the chaos of it all seemed so sexy. And uh, yeah, that film kind of anything's possible, especially from like a movie star standpoint, watching again. So I guess I'm drawn, you know, the movies that shape me are watching movie stars be anything but movie stars. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to be a thing. You know, as I'm kind of thinking about these films and collectively, I think that's the thread that kind of binds them all together outside of Star Wars in the back of a Trans Am. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah, so many of them are, are actors, you know, making that willful decision, that conscious decision to sort of step away from uh, um, the easy thing and the thing that the thing that's popular, the thing that's, you know, that people want to see them do over and over and over again. Well, that's why True Romance is one of my favorite. That's like my next film because it's, again, you're watching Gary Oldman. I mean, and that guy, this will not stop unless I get it. We want to pause for just a minute to thank our sponsor, MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website. They're actually huge fans of our show, which we love because we love all of our listeners. And they feature pretty much every one of the movies we talk about here, except for the incredibly obscure ones that have never been released on video. So you can find them and add them to your collection. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want, and there's a ton of great content and bonus features like director's commentaries, deleted scenes, and all sorts of goodies that you don't get elsewhere. They're great. In fact, they're um, uh, when I was growing up in Philadelphia, we would get the Movies Unlimited uh, catalog because they're from Philly and they're still putting it out. It's this big, giant phone book size thing that has like every movie that's out on video. It's fantastic. So buy your favorites at MoviesUnlimited.com. You're going to find classics, imports, hard to find films, and of course, tons of new releases. Seriously, they do imports. They do stuff with other regions. They're, they're great. It's a great resource. The prices are fantastic. The choices are endless. Own all the titles you love and enjoy all the bonus features that you just don't get elsewhere. So if you want to own your own experience, click the Movies Unlimited banner on, your, on our website and buy your favorites from hard to find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. So feel free to spend lots of money. 
Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she was... Or call the police. Or call the police like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Dude, my dogs are all, because I live on a farm, so they're all just wide open, nonstop, all day. It's insane and manic at all times. Uh, but yeah, talking about true romance, that, that film, again, I mean, we got um, Val Kilmer, who he doesn't even show us his face. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this movie from top, not, not to mention, if you're, an, if you're a goofy actor, it's probably the greatest collection of scenes in oh, a film. Yeah. Well, that it it, it it always felt like that. And I know that a lot of Quentin's early writing came out of like writing scenes for acting class for himself to do. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and that sensibility just, I think, peaks in that movie. Because it is, it's, I mean, there's that amazing scene with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper, and then you never see either of them again. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just, he made Chesterfield's the sexiest, sexiest cigarette on the planet, right? It's just like... <laughs> I mean, and a cantaloupe has never been a greater insult. I mean, That's... Just, uh, yeah, man. But watching that movie again in Hollywood and knowing when Brad Pitt's like, you go down Laurel Canyon, take a ride on scenic, and it's like he's hitting the bong. You're just like, I was like, man, this is this is <laughs> it right here, buddy. <laughs> such a great film. It's such a great film. Such a great film. Gandolfini in that movie. Oh, him and Arquette in that in that hotel room. Yeah so violently and beautiful yeah 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 and just her yeah her performance the two of them are just because because neither of them quite does what you expect and it works like there's a weird there's not a bad actor still. in the film yeah. Yeah. even balky is fantastic and i i hate that i cannot remember his real name but he was fantastic in that <laughs> he was great movie. he was bronson pinchot pull that one out that's right. Yeah, he's great. He's great, isn't he? God, yeah. He's great. When that cocaine's all over his face when the cops walk up, I mean, it's <laughs> just the best. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, oh, and who's, um, see, now I'm doing it. The uh, the, the great, uh, the guy who plays the Joel Silver character, Joe. Oh, um, director. Uh, Saul uh, Rubinick. Saul Rubinick. Oh, I actually worked with Saul on an episode of something years ago. And oh, yeah? One of the greatest human beings, I, I, and then we all played poker. Uh, Timothy Hutton used to get these poker games together, and he would call Saul to come play. And I mean, just that guy is the best. And again, that scene, those scenes at the end yeah. with that huge projector yeah. coming back in a body bag, too. Two. <laughs> He's fantastic. I saw once, I don't know who's, I think, yeah, I saw him once talking about um, working with Eastwood on Unforgiven. And Eastwood's got a fairly, um, you know, he knows what he's want, what he wants. He's very confident. And they're doing that shootout at the end in the bar. 
I remember Saul's there. He's the journalist. And sort of day one, Clint's like, let's try this out. Everyone get to a position and sort of see how that works. And this guy stands over there and that guy stands over there. And Ruben, I can be paying attention. He sits at the bar and they ended up shooting the scene for, I think, like four days. And everybody else had to come in and stand all day. And he got to come and sit at the end of the <laughs> He was very proud of himself. That's crazy. It took, you, you think about Eastwood and the, and the pace in which he shoots, you can't imagine him spending four days on anything. But that's each pretty epic. That's um, how long he takes, us to, he takes to mix the picture. That's right. <laughs> I may be exaggerating. I don't want anybody lawyers. Maybe it was just for a day, but you know, on a Clint movie, it was a long time. <laughs> that was such a great, that's such a great film. Oh yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. one of those, it's like that Shawshank. There's a handful of them that no matter if I'm flipping through the channels, which rarely do, is there any flipping of channels anymore these days. Right? But uh, if I'm ever at my, my parents' house or something and you're in a hotel and the one of those are on, you can't, you can't keep going. Yeah. Stop, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that is that. T- oh, I had I have Gold Rush. Oh. Was that um, uh, Chaplin? Yeah. It was just watching that. I, I just the opening of that film, man. Where he had all those extras moving at that time to get people that motivated. Um, to get that shot. I, I and then again, it to me, it, it's it's so much of these how independent films are made today where you know you're going to have your one or two big set pieces and then everything else needs to be really self-contained, right? He had his really big ass pieces and the rest of it's in that box, you know, having the whole film. And, um, but as a filmmaker, it just, I'm always a fan of him and, and of that silent era. Um, but that film specifically, uh, his approach to it. And I just love the comedy in that film yeah yeah it's it's an amazing uh really amazing movie i I got to see it um god i feel like it was did did you guys have any sense of time anymore are we um (laughs) well not for the last year yeah and so it has to have been more than a year i think it was one of the last movies if not the last movie i saw in a theater they screened it um at the va theater down on uh, highland here um they got an incredible theater there and um, um, it was, and they had, and I guess they had to, they had to get special dispensation from the Chaplin estate uh, to have somebody there doing live music that wasn't Chaplin's score. Because um, even, you know, he's been gone for decades now and he still controls this stuff. <laughs> so it was a silent film with a live uh, accompaniment. And what really, really made me happy was that the place was packed and that there were tons of kids there. A lot of people brought kids. So it wasn't just that, because that's one of the fears, especially in LA where it's this sort of hardcore film community. You know, you see something like that, it's all just like, you know, all these, all these sad old men. But it was, it was packed and there were kids and the kids were loving it. That's awesome. You know, the Egyptian will do that sometimes and they'll actually even bring in a Foley team as well with the, uh, with the orchestra and they'll actually okay. kind of do all of the sounds and everything. It's really great. Fantastic. Yeah. I love yeah, that. I love that. Kids for that as well. But yeah, it's just, it's really heartening to see children, not only getting exposed to that stuff, but reacting to it the way, I mean, you know, when I saw that film, that movie was already 40, 50 years old and I, it, I loved it. So, um, well, it's also heartening that uh, it's looking like uh, some of the theaters are opening up again. And yes. uh, uh, one or two of the people who've been on our show recently actually have movies that are actually going to open in theaters, which is, you know, for the last year, it's been 
you know, you have to get, see it on Netflix. You have to see it on streaming. You have to, uh, you know, we're sorry you can't get your picture released. Um, but because there's a huge difference between seeing a movie with an audience and seeing a movie on television. It, it's just, oh, there's no doubt. And um, the one that we had, uh, I don't know what order these are going to be run in, but we had the director of Nobody here um, from overseas. And, um, and it was a, it, it's a crowd-pleasing movie. I mean, you realize that even when you watch it alone. It's like you know that if this picture was being run for an audience, they would be with it and they'd be talking back to the screen and they'd be reacting. And, and that's the whole ethos of movie going is like, you know, being in a dark room with strangers and all having the same emotion. And that's something that we all miss. And I just I'm hoping that we can get back to that and the Egyptian can start running matinees for kids again, where they run, you know, Laurel and Hardy and, and stuff that they won't be able to see anywhere else. It's everything, though, isn't it? I think we, what we're learning through this is just how much we truly need one another. Yeah. You know, I mean, March Madness, you know, as a basketball fan, is not as, in, as exciting as it was, you know, two years ago. I'm grateful right. that we have it and the kids are able to play the game, certainly. But whether it's competition, whether it's storytelling, there is something about drawing off of the emotion of others. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it, I, I can't imagine what comedians are doing right now. I know some of them, uh, are trying to do things virtually, but yeah, know, it's hard without that feedback. Especially. It's hard yeah. without that room, man. How do you gauge the pace and the tone? Like it's yeah. just, yeah. you know, um, but it's, it's, I, I have faith, you know, you say about kids and, and I think there's something really interesting as I watch my kids and the way that they absorb content from YouTube and how they're watching, they're, they're watching human beings, right? They're not necessarily a lot of what they consume isn't plot driven, right? It's just exploring humans doing things that they can relate to. And it's funny, I put on Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm. My kids didn't move. They watched, I mean, from the opening, my, my eight-year-old, but that's, that's the other thing, again, because my eight-year-old can watch uh, Lowry's ghost story and he's mesmerized. Right. So there's something about with this cult, this generation that's coming up that they're more interested in just watching people be and mm. being present as opposed to having to figure something out or we have to solve this crime or we right. have to chase this individual down. Mm-hmm. That I find when we were watching The Mandalorian, those first three episodes, my kids were glued by episode four. It starts going down. We're following. Now we got to get this guy and that. They started tuning out, man. And my twelve-year-old really said, "If that my twelve-year-old said, if he takes that helmet off, I'm walking out of the room." I'm like, "Just hold on, hold on, hold on." <laughs> so they're they're drawn to. They were completely. They could have watched Mando walk through the desert for twelve episodes for half half hour each time, and they would have been happy. And that's exciting too. That's me. amazing. I wonder if that. Yeah, I mean, because because uh, you know, once upon a time in the West, which uh, I, on on every every even number day, I think is the best movie ever made. Um, I mean, that's three hour movie in which every scene takes its time. Um, and I, I love that. I love that. They that. did not move. Wow. They did not move. That's, great. that's I mean, I, I don't know if my parents could sit through that film. So um, <laughs> I, 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 again, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged and watching some of these at the, at the festival this last year and seeing some of these young filmmakers. I'm excited. 
and and I and I don't think cinema can go away because we all realize the value of sitting in that room. Yeah. yeah. Plus, what else can make a billion dollars in a month, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, well, McLean, well uh, thank you for coming yeah. back. Uh, we know you. it was a, a hardship. <laughs> but, uh, I would sit with you clowns any day. Uh, so yeah, so we'll probably have to have you back next week to do it all over again when something else goes wrong. That's right? botches it up. Maybe you That's should right. let somebody else do record. No, I've got I've got a stronographer over here to the left. You guys just couldn't see. He's been taking everything down. I'm going to have it all sent to you guys, and we'll just, uh, you can we'll, just read it next time. Yeah, I was going to say the thing that drops eventually will just be me reading a transcript. <laughs> um, but yeah, but your movie, The Killing of Two Lovers, is um, it's not just coming out May 14th. You're you're it's going to be in theaters. It's going to be in theaters. You know, we've been pushing Neon bought the film back in April after the 2020 Sundance Film Festival. And we've just been they've just been hopeful, you know, that um, that the theaters are going to open. And they felt that it was the kind of film that needed to be seen on a large scope um, or a large medium. And um, we're excited. You know, I'm just I, yeah. I, I, I just want the film to be seen. And certainly I would love for it to be in theaters. But uh, I, I'm not. You know, I'm also I understand that for the most part, people are going to be watching it in their living rooms, and that's okay. Well, that's true of most movies, but you know, the the, the theatrical experience really is—it's uh, the reason why we're here. Yeah, and that film it's too, I think, here. benefits because it it's it's deceptively small. I would say because it's shot so beautifully and um, uh, makes use of the frame um, in, in such an interesting way that uh, the, the the larger the screen you can see it on, I think, the more. Um, it will impact with you, uh, if that makes sense. Well, that was definitely, you know, our egos going into it was bid to be seen, you know, in the theaters for sure. Um, we weren't sure that it would be seen outside of the festival. So for and, Neon to give it an extra yeah. light, to give it life is just, you know, we're, we're over the top excited and uh, grateful for people to kind of view it. Fantastic. Great. Um, great. Well, listen, I, I really thank you again. Apologies again. We'll be seeing you in a couple of weeks. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. And uh, that's a wrap. You the film. Did, did we get it, Joe? Did we get it? Yeah, you, only you can tell that. <laughs> right, see you later. Take care, man. Thank you. Bye, guys. Our show was recorded from several well stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of trailersfromhell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Yeah, Film Vault. We are one of the original film podcasts. That can't be true. There was like two other film podcasts when we began, Brian. How long have we been doing this show? You and I first sat down and did a version of the show over 20 years ago. My God. Two episodes each week. One. We review movies and the first episode and the second one. Different top five every week. Movies that made you cry. Worst movie accents. Most disturbing movies. All right, the Film Vault. Check it out. Wherever you find a fine podcast. That's right. The Film Vault. Going on 20 plus years.